This is the EPLOG audio experience. Film is clearly a sophisticated art, possibly the most important art of the 20th century with a rather complex history of theory and practice, writes James Monaco in his book How to Read a Film. So far in our podcast, The Artists, we have had filmmakers, writers, critics, programmers from some of the top film festivals, musicians, thinkers, defining their combinatorial skills. We at Metaphysical Lab have been striving to expand the realm of our podcast, which in turn gives a wider uh, canvas to the understanding of our experiences. And also we have tied up with Epilog Media, the podcasting network. So you can find us on their website, epilogmedia slash the artists. And of course, you can continue to listen to us on the platforms that you choose from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to GeoSavan to Google Podcast. Everything is mentioned in the description. And of course, you can reach us uh, on the WhatsApp number and our email ID. I'm your host, Suchita, and I'm looking forward to a wonderful journey ahead with all of you. Hi, guys. Welcome to the 85th episode of our podcast, The Artist. Excited about this one. Um, I've been thinking about doing this specific episode for a while now, but I was not sure. And finally, we are getting this out. It's called Sculpting in Time by the great Russian director, Tarkovsky. And uh, I'm, I'm sure most of us have heard and seen his work. But if you haven't, then you must go and check it out. This book, Sculpting in Time, is a treasure for artists, not just filmmakers. The book Tarkovsky shares with us his learnings while making his masterpieces. He's trying to question a lot of things, including cinema, the purpose of it, destiny of cinema, art, why make art, who watches art, what's the purpose of art, the commercial aspect of it, the, the connectivity between the maker and the audience, the language, the aesthetics, everything what art and cinema should stand for. And he takes examples from all the great literary works and cinematic works. Sculpting in Time should be declared a national treasure. It's, it's a timeless book and we are fortunate to be bringing some key excerpts of the book while keeping the essence there. Hopefully we encourage you to go and read the book. The book can get overwhelming because of its depth and because of its philosophy and because of what Tarkovsky was. I mean, you can see it in his cinema, the purity of it, that the search for absolute truth can get very overwhelming. It's impossible to reach that kind of depth unless you're supported by people who understand that kind of depth. So we decided to break it into two parts so it doesn't get too cumbersome for our listeners. This is part one of it, Sculpting in Time by Tarkovsky. Enjoy. So Tarkovsky made in total seven films in his career and all seven are considered masterpieces. And of course, he made one more film after he came out of the film school. But those seven films, I'm sure the listeners, most of them have seen it. And if you haven't, the first thing you should do is go and watch these films, which is Ivan's Childhood, 1962, Andrei Rubelov, 1966, Solaris, 1972, Mirror, 1978, and Stalker, 1979. And then he made Nostalgia, 1983, which was made in Italy, not in Russia. And then his last film, The Sacrifice, was made in 
in Sweden in 1986 and then after that Tarkovsky passed away at a very very young age and it was a very untimely death so the book begins with the introduction where Tarkovsky has mentioned that he has been jotting down notes for the book but then he was wondering whether there is any point in writing the book of course it was his own dilemma whether whether this is something that he should put out there into the world because as he writes why not just go on making one film after another finding practical solutions to those theoretical problems which arise whenever one is working on a film and like every filmmaker's life there were long intervals between films long and painful enough to leave uh, him free to consider for want of anything better to do and what his main aims were that were the factors that distinguish cinema from the other art forms what i saw as its unique potential and how my own experience compared with experience and achievements of my colleague so his whole point of writing the book as he mentions are three main factors and i'm going to quote this is that what are the factors that distinguish cinema from other art forms uh, what i saw as its unique potential and how my own experiences compared with the experience and achievements of my colleagues tarkovsky also felt and i quote that i realized that i generally came to recognize my own working principles through questioning established theory to the urge to express my own understanding of the fundamental laws of this art form and then he goes on to quote the nasty letters that he received from people who saw his films many did not understand his films and they came back accusing him even using foul language but then what kept tarkovsky going was also some and few who admired his work and as one wrote tarkovsky by means of cinema has succeeded in producing a work of such philosophical depths another wrote that you have to watch this film simply and listen to the music of bach and as every artist is hungry for some admiration some acceptance these little acceptances these little admirations from people from the world over kept him going to make the next five films Chapter 1 the beginning begins with the completion of Ivan's childhood marked the end of one cycle of my life and of a process that I saw as a kind of self-determination I could now access the experience of Ivan's childhood accept the need to work out clearly albeit temporarily my own position in the aesthetics of cinema and set myself problems which might be solved in the course of making my next film and Ivan's childhood is adapted from a short story by Bogomolov and then he goes on to write why adapting a book a prose to screen is not all that easy and what are the choices that the director has when he chooses to adapt prose for screen and tarkovsky writes that i have to say at the outset that not all prose can be transferred to the screen some works have a wholeness and are endowed with a precise and original literary image characters are drawn in unfathomable depths composition has an extraordinary capacity for enchantment and the book is indivisible through the pages comes the astonishing unique personality of the author books like that are masterpieces and only someone who is actually indifferent both to find prose and to the cinema can conceive the urge to screen them and then he underlines that bogomolov's ivan is in the category that other prose works are made by ideas by clarity and firmness of structure by originality of theme such writing seems not to be concerned with the aesthetic development of the thought it contains and tarkovsky felt that bogomolov's ivan is in this category then tarkovsky describes the things the elements that moved him in the story and one of the things that moved him the most was the personality of the young boy so the boy his character moved 
Tarkovsky by its intensely dramatic quality which he found far more convincing than those personalities which are revealed in the gradual process of human development through situations of conflict and clashes of principle and then he mentions this very important point comparison with Dostoevsky which says that for me the most interesting characters are outwardly static but inwardly charged with energy by an overriding passion and Ivan's character turned out to be of this kind it was more of a connectivity with the character that led him to decide the adaptation of the book because as he mentions the emotional texture of the story was alien to him events were related in a deliberately restrained style almost in the tone of a report and uh, he writes that i could not have transferred such a style to the screen it would have been against my principles and then tarkovsky goes on to write that what should be the connectivity between a writer and a director when the two decide to work together so and a writer and a director have different aesthetic starting points compromise is impossible it will destroy the very conception of the film the film will not happen and when such a conflict occurs there is only one way out to transform the literary scenario into a new fabric which at a certain stage in the making of the film will come to be called the shooting script and then of course this amazing line that he writes is an artist may achieve an outward illusion a lifelike effect but that is not at all the same as examining life beneath the surface and then tarkovsky mentions chaplin and dobzhenko and mizoguchi and their work and uh, writes that you realize what tremendous emotion all power is carried by these exalted figures who soar above the earth and whom the artist appears not just as an explorer of life but as one who creates great spiritual treasures and that special beauty which is subject only to poetry and continuing from the thoughts that he mentioned at the beginning of the chapter was adapting prose to cinema he writes at the beginning of this chapter i said i was glad to see signs of a watershed forming between cinema and literature which both exercise such a strong and beneficial influence on each other as it develops the cinema will i think move further away not only from literature but also from other adjacent art forms and thus become more and more autonomous and as tarkovsky has always mentioned that trying to adapt the features of other art forms to the screen will always deprive the film of what is distinctly cinematic and make it harder to handle the material in a way that makes use of the powerful resources of cinema as an art in its own right Tarkovsky used to work so in depth and in, in, into his shots into into the whole material of making a film that for him honesty and truth was so important and also being faithful to life and this wonderful line he writes is that to be faithful to life a work has for me to be at once an exact factual account and a true communication of feelings and then he goes on to illustrate about mise-en-scene and tarkovsky strongly felt that the purpose of mise-en-scene its purpose must not be reduced to elaborating on the meaning of a conversation or an action its function is to startle us with the authenticity of the actions and the beauty and depths of the artistic images not by obtrusive illustration of the meaning and he felt that no mise-en-scene has the rights to be repeated just as no two personalities are ever the same so as soon as the mise-en-scene turns into a sign a cliche a concept then the whole thing character situation psychology becomes schematic and false and he goes on to write that the true artistic image is always based on the organic unity of idea and form indeed any imbalance between form and concept will preclude the creation of an artistic image for the work will remain outside the realm of art 
masterpieces are born of the artist's struggle to express his ethical ideals. Indeed, his concepts and his sensibilities are informed by those ideals. If he loves life, has an overwhelming need to know it, change it, try to better it. In short, if he aims to cooperate in enhancing the value of life, then there is no danger in the fact that the picture of reality will have passed through a filter of his subjective concepts, through his state of mind. And throughout the making of Ivan's childhood, he realized that he has to rely on his own taste and his own faith and in the competence of his own aesthetic choices. And he also felt that some of these choices would stand the test of time. And many might not. This chapter of Ivan's childhood is a very detailed chapter and it's worth reading, guys. So go, go check that out and read the complete chapter. And then he goes on to say that after Ivan's childhood, when he moved on to The Passion of Andre, which is on the life of Andre Rubelov, which he completed in 1966, he writes that after writing the screenplay, I was very doubtful about whether it would be possible to produce the film. In any case, I knew it would certainly not be historical or biographical work. I was interested in something else and I wanted to investigate the nature of the poetic genius of the great Russian painter and I wanted to use the example of Rubilov to explore the question of the psychology of the artistic creativity and analyze the mentality and the civic awareness of an artist who created spiritual treasures of timeless significance. So Tarkovsky was so clear about the why of his making the film. What did he really want wanted to do. So chapter 2 of this most fascinating book, Sculpting in Time by Tarkovsky, is about the aim of art and he calls it art a yearning for the ideal. So he writes, and I quote, that before going on to the particular problems of the nature of cinematic art, because of course he's trying to solve his problems of cinema as an art form after he had made his first film and while he was making his first film and while he, ma while he made a series of other films. He says that I, I feel it's important to define my understanding of the ultimate aim of art as such. Why does art exist? Who needs it? Indeed, does anybody need it? So he says that a lot of people ask these questions, including the poets. So it's important for, for us as filmmakers to define and understand what is art for. And then he goes on to quote Alexander Bloch and says that poet creates harmony out of chaos. Then he quotes Pushkin, that Pushkin believed the poet had the gift of prophecy and every artist is ruled by his own laws, but there are by no means compulsory for anyone else. And then he very bluntly puts it that uh, the goal of every art, unless it's a saleable commodity, is to explain to the artist himself or herself and to those around him or her what man lives for and what's the meaning of his existence. And so art, like science, is a means of assimilating the world, an instrument for knowing it in the course of man's journey towards what is called absolute truth. And then he goes on to write that an artistic discovery occurs each time as a new and unique image of the world, a hieroglyphic of absolute truth. It appears as a revelation, as a momentary passionate wish to grasp intuitively and at a stroke all the laws of this world, its beauty and ugliness, its compassion and cruelty, its infinity and its limitations. The artist expresses these things by creating the image detector of the absolute. Through the image is sustained an awareness of the infinite, the eternal within the finite, the spiritual within matter, the limitless given form. And then he puts across this very profound thought that art is born and takes hold wherever there is a timeless and insatiable belonging for the spiritual, for the ideal, that longing which draws people to art. 
modern art has taken a wrong turn in abandoning the search for the meaning of existence in order to affirm the value of the individual for its own sake the artist is always a servant and is perpetually trying to pay for the gifts that has been given to him as if by a miracle tarkovsky's whole process of thinking about cinema the way he was thinking the germ of it was so passionate it is so difficult to even come near it the, the purity of it all it, it's it, it's just impossible in in today's times is is what i feel and then he writes that art is a meta language with the help of which people try to communicate with one another to impart information about themselves and assimilate the experience of others and then he talks about something very profound which is intuition playing an important part in science as it does in art tarkovsky is a big fan of leo tolstoy and he often has quoted him in the book and if you take leo tolstoy as an example especially those works where he was particularly resolute in his search for a precise well ordered expression of his ideas and moral inspiration we see how every time the artistic image he has created as it were pushes aside its own ideological frontiers refuses to fit in the framework imposed on by its author it argues with them and sometimes in a poetic sense even contradicts its own logical system and the masterpiece goes on living by its own laws and has a tremendous aesthetic and emotional impact even when we don't agree with the author's fundamental tenet so these are the things that we'll never understand unless not we have seen tarkovsky's work and we deeply i mean i'm not sure deeply but we try and understand him and his multiple facets and his understanding of art and of course if we have not visited leo tolstoy we've not read leo tolstoy it's difficult to comprehend what tarkovsky is saying here and then comes the most profound line of the chapter which is art acts above all on the soul shaping its spiritual structure art acts above all on the soul shaping its spiritual structure and then he mulls on this very important point that in a world that is becoming spiritually important how do you pass on the art and then another profound line the aim of art is to prepare a person for death to plow and harrow his soul rendering it capable of turning to good and then he talks about the receiver of art without whom the art is incomplete guthe is a thousand times right when he says that it is as hard to read a good book as it is to write it the works of the great poets have never yet been read by mankind for only great poets can read them so it really makes you question that if a great work ever gets created i mean the greatest ever do you think that mankind today's times can understand it so who's going to understand it what's going to be the percentage of that in times when we are so stuck on the viral videos guze also said that the less accessible a work is to the intellect the greater it is and this is something i'm always i always question that can art teach you anything and rakovsky says that it's obvious that art cannot teach anyone anything since in 4000 years humanity has learned nothing at all we should long ago have become angels had we been capable of paying attention to the experience of art and allowing ourselves to be changed in accordance with the ideals it expresses it's ridiculous to imagine that people can be taught to be good so then what can art do and he says that art can only give food a jolt the occasion for psychical experience and then tarkovsky goes on to write about bunuel the spanish filmmaker he had a huge regard for and he writes that bunuel is the bearer above all of poetic consciousness he knows that 
aesthetic structure has no need of manifestors, that the power of art does not lie there, but in emotional persuasiveness. Every line of the chapter is so important and this is something I've just read some important excerpts for you guys. So it's important that you fetch it and read it. Chapter 3 is about imprinted time and it starts with the lines from Dostoevsky's The Possessed. It's uncanny how deep Tarkovsky can think and what he's trying to understand through this chapter, he writes it so succinctly here, he writes it that when scholars and critics study time, as it appears in literature, music or painting, they speak of the methods of recording it. Studying Joyce or Proust, for instance, they will examine the aesthetic mechanics of existence in the retrospect of the works, the way the individual who does the recollecting actually records his experience. They will study the forms used in art to fix time, whereas I am interested here in the inner moral qualities essentially inherent in time itself. Wow. And then he writes about when does a director start to be an artist and says that he starts to be an artist at the moment when in his mind or even on film his own distinctive system of images starts to take shape his own pattern of thoughts about the external world and the audience are invited to judge it to share with the director in his most precious and secret dreams only when his personal viewpoint is brought in when he becomes a kind of philosopher does he emerge as an artist and cinema as an art and then he goes on to write that every art form, however, is born and lives according to its particular laws. So when people talk about the specific norms of cinema, it is usually in juxtaposition with literature. Then he goes on to talk about cinema and literature, the similarities and differences, which is like an ever-ending topic of conversation. And then he writes that in all these years, no single binding definition has been found for the specific character of cinema. What are the determining factors of cinema and what are its potential means, images, not only formally but even spiritually? I still cannot forget that work of genius shown in the last century, the film with which it all started. That film made by August Lumiere was simply the result of the invention of the camera, the film and the projector. And of course he's talking about the film where we see the train that's coming towards towards the audience, the, the, the clip of the train. So as the train approached, panic started in the theatre and people jumped and ran. He says that for the first time in the history of the arts, in the history of culture, man found the means to take an impression of time. And simultaneously, the possibility of reproducing the time on screen as often as he wanted to repeat it and go back to it. And then he questions this very important question, which is why do people go to the cinema? To which he answers that, I think that what a person normally goes to the cinema for is time, for time lost or spent or not yet had. And then again, he asks this question that, what is the essence of the director's work? He answers that we could define it as sculpting in time, just as a sculptor takes a lump of marble and inwardly conscious of the features of his finished piece removes everything that is not part of it. So the filmmaker from a lump of time made up of an enormous solid cluster of living facts cuts off and discards whatever he does not need, what will prove to be integral 
to the cinematic image. Cinema is said to be a composite art based on the involvement of a number of neighbor art forms, drama, prose, acting, painting, music. In fact, the involvement of these art forms can, as it turns out, impinge so heavily on cinema as to reduce it to a kind of mishmash or, at best, to a mere semblance of harmony in which the heart of cinema is not to be found because it is precisely in these conditions that it ceases to exist. This is a paragraph from which the name of the book has come sculpting in time. And then quoting uh, from Hemingway and many other places, he asks that what is the meaning of cinema? And for him, it is juxtaposing a person with an environment that is boundless, collating him with the countless number of people passing by close to him and far away, relating a person to the whole world. That is the meaning of cinema. And then he talks about the word called poetic cinema. What is meant by it is that cinema that boldly moves away in its images from what is factual and concrete as pictured by real life and at the same time affirms its own structure wholeness. Poetic cinema as a rule gives birth to symbols, allegories and other such figures that is nothing to do with the imagery natural to cinema. And then he beautifully quotes the Japanese poetry, the haiku. Eisenstein quoted some examples of the haiku which is which I'm going to read this beautiful haiku. Coldly shining moon, silent in the field, near the ancient monastery. A butterfly was flying, a wolf was howling, then it fell asleep. And here Tarkovsky writes that and although I'm very chary of making comparisons with other art forms, this particular example from poetry seems to me close to the truth of cinema, with the difference that prose and poetry use words by definition while a film is born of direct observation of life, that is my view, is the key to poetry and cinema. For the cinema, image is essentially the observation of a phenomenon passing through time. And then he goes on to write that the purity of cinema, its inherent strength is revealed not in the symbolic aptness of images, but in the capacity of those images to express a specific, unique, actual fact. And then he goes on to describe about misocene and what is misocene. And to answer that, he falls on literature and talks about the final episode of Dostoevsky's The Idiot and it's something that needs to be read on page 73. And here again, coming back to cinema, he says that the director to build up a scene must work from the psychological state of the characters through the inner dynamic of the mood of the situation and bring it all back to the truth of the one directly observed fact and its unique texture. Only then will the scene achieve the specific many-faceted significance of actual truth. And then he categorically mentions that for every single case, cinema demands of both director and scriptwriter enormous knowledge. And he specifically mentions psychology here, which is something superbly important to know the character inside out and why they do what they do. For usually a person's words, inner state and physical action develop on different planes. It, it, it is worth stressing the point that the author's work springs from his thought, his intention, from the need to make a statement about something important. And as he nears towards another chapter, he writes that a few people of genius in cinema look at Brazil, Mizoguchi, 
Sokurov. Not one of them could be confused with anyone else. An artist of that caliber follows one straight line, albeit at great cost, not without weaknesses, or even indeed occasionally being far-fetched, but always in the name of the one idea, the one conception. And then in chapter 4, he puts across this point of what is cinema's destined role? Two of the excerpts, Sculpting in Time by Tarkovsky, will follow soon. And that's it, folks, for this episode. I'm your host, Sujata, and I'll see you guys soon. Keep at it.